everyone, welcome to the 51st edition of DF Direct Weekly. It's Digital Foundry's weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news. It's actually our one year anniversary, 51 episodes, 52 weeks. Uh, we had a week off at Christmas. <laughs> but uh, uh, happy anniversary, first of all, to Alex Batalia. Happy anniversary, Rich. Happy anniversary, mystery guest number three. Um, <laughs> I'm super happy that we started doing this. Uh, it, at first, it was a bit rocky. Uh, we had to get our footing. We had to get used to talking about topics every week. And I think we've reached uh, kind of a groove here that is really awesome. And I think the audience response has been incredible. So thank you in the audience for watching. Exactly, yes. And uh, obviously joining us, uh, mystery guest number three, I think it's actually mystery guest number two, uh, it is Tom Morgan. Hello, I'm back with the giant, giant microphone as always and ready to go. But your raid-faced bedpost is no longer part of the picture. No, I've just got a radiator instead, which I know is a bit of a downgrade, but... Um... Yeah, more diffuse reflections on that one. Anyway, uh, let's kick off with uh, the first topic. We've got so much to discuss this week, but it's going to be dominated, obviously, by Steam Deck and Elden Ring. So many questions. We're going to try and cram in as many supporter questions as possible on this. Um, but first of all, let's uh, start with discussion on Steam Deck. Yes, Steam Deck. I've got one, another one coming, and I'll be heading straight over to Berlin to give it to you, Alex. Yes. But um, I'm very curious. Obviously, I've had the machine for a while now. I'm sure you've seen my coverage. You've probably seen other people's coverage. I'm going to go to uh, you first, Alex, because you're the PC man. Um, what, what's your impressions of this device? Well, um, I think... <laughs> We have to look at it differently than we'd look at a normal device, because with a normal PC, when looking for optimized settings, you are targeting frame rates, I would say usually 60, and you're trying to min-max uh, like quality uh, for that performance. And I think with the Steam Deck, and the way I'm going to focus my videos on it is that we should, I think, really focus on its unplugged experience, its mobile experience, and maximizing the battery life uh, potential there at a steady 30 FPS, which is very different than what I would usually do for most games, honestly. At least, you know, I would say for the more premium top tier uh, AAA games, uh, for lesser experiences that are less power uh, demanding, then I still, still think the 60 FPS is a great target. Um, and I think that's the core difference that I took away from your coverage, looking at how absolutely battery sapping unlocked frame rates are, uh, how they're also not necessarily always the best uh, for performance in general, uh, which makes sense in a constrained environment with um, bandwidth contention between CPU and GPU with that shared LP DDR4 uh, RAM there. And I think that's the way I'm going to do my coverage. And it's the thing I think most people are going to end up be interested in as well, too. In the end, we showed off, I think you showed off conclusively. And I also think even back when Gamers Nexus did their stuff, that they showed off rather conclusively that we have a very powerful chipset here. Um, but achieving that console-like experience on the go is going to be the key thing that I want to focus on and the thing I'm most interested in. Yeah, I think optimized settings here are really interesting because um, I'm looking at Elden Ring at the moment and I can make it look as good as the PS4 version and run about the same uh, in terms of performance, but I think the bottlenecks might be slightly different. Um, obviously, we've got the, <laughs> it's running the PC port, which is uh, kind of crazy, which isn't particularly great, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Um, here's an interesting question, though, because um, when we look at optimized settings, you, you kind of have to, um, uh, you're kind of looking for things in terms of uh, 
overall quality as it would be judged on a desktop screen, right? And um, if you actually do the side-by-sides in the Elden Ring, the biggest difference between like low and high settings is the grass detail. So I'm kind of curious as to whether we should be trying to pair back settings that you're less likely to see in favor of like the grass setting where the difference is obvious, even on a smaller screen. I'm going to agree with that. Like I'm looking at things like the S SSAO quality or things like re uh, RT, uh, not RT reflection, sorry, SSR reflection quality and things like that. Like those are areas that are going to be massively pared back. And I actually start, I'm, I've started thinking about it that I'm going to purposely focus on pairing back settings that require lots of just general compute. Uh, try and make it, you know, try and make it run and look more like a mobile game in some aspects may, may actually have incredible uh, wins for battery life, I think. Because the, the, the kind of um, second thoughts I'm having about my coverage is that we've got a situation here where we can make the game look like the PS4 version or actually better. Uh, um, but I'm judging those quality um, settings based on a head-to-head -head that's going to be viewed on a larger screen. So it's, it's possibly not the way to actually set up these games. It's, it's really quite interesting. Uh, Tom, I'm going to go to you for your thoughts on the Steam Deck. I got a Steam Deck very, uh, well, it was about the same time as you did, I believe. Uh, we kind of uh, got the, this version of it where it wasn't really ready <laughs> uh, at that time. And it was, so my impression of it was, wow, it's, it's an absolute chonker of a, <laughs> a machine. Uh, it's also not exactly, I wouldn't say it's the most ergonomic in my opinion, um, but it, it's got all the functionality you could possibly want from a handheld in terms of inputs. Like they thought of everything, which is, you know, going to future proof it. I believe there was an article going around, or at least a, a rumor that the Valve have planned um, multiple iterations and they're, they're always thinking of redesigns. Uh, and I can definitely see the value in that because this, I mean, think, I think we'll look back on this if they do reiterate and say, well, this was definitely kind of a prototype-y sort of design. Um, bit like the gamepad on the Wii U to the Switch. Uh, I think we'll see that sort of progression in terms of how we view it. But um, in terms of what it does, my God, it's, um, you know, with the, all the features that have finally been integrated, like the 30 FPS cap, um, I think this is... This is a much more exciting uh, uh, creature now. The thing is, you had to give your deck to Eurogamer. It was actually their deck. So you only had <laughs> yes, it during yeah. the period where it was actually not very good, where the software yes, exactly. wasn't, wasn't working properly. It was six, It was 60 FPS or bust, basically, at that point, because 30, 30 FPS literally did not work when you had the deck. Um, the cap was, was available. In fact, there were all manner of options um, in, in the deck that were in the pre-release software but weren't working that are now gone. So, uh, for example, um, uh, variable resolution setting, which uh, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I can't imagine driver-level DRS would be doable, but that seemed to be in there. Um, kind of weird, but yes, basically we had the, the deck ages before the embargo, but it, uh, the embargo was on Friday, and to my mind, the device was only reviewable on Monday, uh, which, which, which it wasn't a great week. Let's put it that way. Huge panic. <laughs> it was. It wasn't particularly great. But on the Monday, you know, after a weekend of intense frustration about the device not working really as it should, 
on Monday, we had a system software update. I just dipped into Forza Horizon 5 and suddenly it's like, whoa, this is actually really impressive. This, this, it wasn't doing this before. There were all manner of issues with Forza. Um, but when I did first get the deck, what I will say is that, um, as I said, it was 60 FPS or bust. So um, if you played Doom Eternal, for example, I mean, that runs incredibly well at 60 FPS on Steam Deck. Um, you know, ultra settings, dynamic resolution scaling. The dynamic resolution scaling only kicks in on big explosions and glory kills. So absolutely, you can you can play at ultra if you really want to. That opens up battery life considerations, of course. But um, yeah, I'm actually really excited by this by this device. But it is like a Gen One product. I think you're right. There was a, an, an interview with um, Gabe Newell on um, Eurogamer, where he's talking about like you know the deck years down the line. And it sounds like a very different, more accessible device aimed at mobile gamers. Whereas I, I view the deck as a device aimed at PC gamers who want a really cool handheld and can bring their library with them, um, which I think are two very different things. I'm curious if this is all gonna marry up uh, eventually and into, into some kind of mass market accessible device. But I, the thing is, I don't think that you can take away functionality. So I don't know whether it would be like a, you know, um, a more console-like UI with the ability to switch into the Steam UI as it is on the deck at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point. I I did, watching your video, Rich, I did think that the, the UI probably needs a, I mean, you said it's functional, but I think it needs that snappiness uh, of like the PS5 level of snappiness for the UI, not the PS4 level of snappiness for the UI, for example. <laughs> that's, that's kind of quite an apt yeah. descri uh, description, actually, because it is quite cumbersome and slow. Mm -hmm. And you want that kind of super snappy 60 hertz update. Uh, very easy to find your, your functionality and whatnot. And um, yeah, I do think we've still got the curation element that it requires where um, it is a mobile device. You shouldn't, you know, if, if they are aiming for a more accessible audience, you shouldn't be spending hours generating optimized settings. You know, it should all be kind of done for you with the ability to customize, you know, because that is the PC strength. But I'm going to dip quickly into questions here because we've got a lot of them. Uh, first one, first one from Andrew, really, really easy. Uh, I'm really curious about the Steam Deck acoustics. Several reviewers mentioned the fan is loud. Do you think the deck passes the significant other couch test, meaning the fan and buttons are quiet enough to play sitting next to someone else? The answer is no, it doesn't meet that test. Because if you're playing a game that requires a lot of GPU power, uh, this device is like chewing through up to 26, 27 watts. <laughs> and to, to dissipate that heat requires a, a hefty cooling assembly. Now, the fan isn't so much loud as it is high pitched, which is arguably even worse than being loud. <laughs> It's it really is the issue. It is, yeah, it really is an issue. I, uh, I mean, they've got to get the fan RPM up high, and because there's such a small width to the thing, depth to the thing, they've got to make the fan small. Uh, and there's, when you combine high RPM with a small fan, that's what you get. I tried it in a few areas, like um, at home in like a home office or a living room. Absolutely, you're going to hear that in the office, in like the Eurogamer office. It was all right. And I imagine on a commute, 
with the bustle and everything, you're not going to hear so much of it, uh, you know, on a bus or a train. So it's kind of, but on an airplane, gosh, you're going to wind up everyone. <laughs> so, I don't know, on an airplane, uh, you've got a lot of ambient, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ambient yeah, engine I suppose. and whatnot. But I think in a, in a quiet lounge, and I think if somebody's trying, I mean, the, the beauty of the Switch is that you can be uh, playing on the Switch, your partner can be watching TV, and nobody is interfering with the other's experience, really. But that is not the case with the deck because the fan noise underload is is appreciable. So yeah, uh, that's that question out of the way. Um, Going to move on to the next one. CTG eight six seven. I really enjoyed Rich's Steam Deck analysis. Thank you. It's a fascinating machine that I'm considering buying. Uh, good luck. Is that? <laughs> but I had some lingering questions. What happens when you insert an aftermarket NVMe or install Windows without proper drivers? Also, how good is it at emulation? If you have the time and interest, I'd love to see your findings. Thanks. Um, well, it's a PC. If you put in an aftermarket NVMe, um, you have to install the OS. So you'd need to have like a USB drive to hand. So it's not like a, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's doable. Um, if you install Windows without proper drivers, then um, I suspect the CPU side of things would be okay, but you won't have any GPU acceleration, which is a really, really bad place to be. So we we still don't have those Windows drivers, by the way. Um, we had an email from Valve saying they're being held up by AMD's legal department, um, but uh, they are coming. Yeah, kind of curious. How good is it at emulation? I've not looked at this, but there, but there are, or rather there were, <laughs> videos online show, showing how it works. Uh, there's, there's this curious story going around at the moment that Nintendo are zapping videos showing um, GameCube and uh, Switch emulation on the deck. I've not tried those things. Um, I think the thing to bear in mind is it is still a relatively resource-constrained device. So your wins are going to be quite limited. Older systems, not a problem. I mean, if a PSP can do Mega Drive, you're not going to have too many issues with Steam Deck, right? So yeah, I'll take a look and see what existing videos are out there at the moment. The emulation side of things is intriguing to me, but not intriguing enough for me to divert from my current content schedule. Uh Maybe it's something I can look at when I get the deck, but at the moment right now, that's not what we're going to be doing in the immediate future. I mean, from from my perspective, Alex, I'd love to see whether you can run your favorite RTS titles on there. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Yeah, which is really interesting to see whether the the flexibility of the interface of the the, uh, input controls holds up. I suspect it's just going to be like the Steam controller, right? I imagine it'll be very similar, which can be an okay experience, but you know, mouse and keyboard. We'll we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm really interested in seeing the optimized settings stuff, and we have to contend with the fact that on a on a big desktop screen watching the video, it might not look great, but we're we're trying we're going to be trying to optimize for what is you know whatever a seven inch. The screen experience. Yeah. yeah. I did get a laugh, though, out of watching some of your PS4 versus Steam Deck stuff that the 1080p uh, compression on YouTube actually kind of made them look more similar than I think they would in, in real life on a, on a big screen. YouTube just destroys content. It is incredible. It isn't great. Yeah. No, it's, that is true. Um, let's move on to the next question from uh, SJ33 in brackets, Jake, shaky Jake. 
I think the Steam Deck looks excellent and I can't wait for mine, but is there a danger that PC developers will be held back just as we're finally beginning to move out of the cross-gen period? We all hope the Steam Deck will be a big success, but that success will presumably see PC developers more obliged to provide compatibility. Scalability only goes so far. Uh, Tom, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the uptake. From a developer's perspective, if there aren't... Mm, I mean, they'll be looking at the sales, the actual install base, and how how much they've got to swerve out of their way to make a compatible, uh, like, optimised version of their game. For cutting-edge uh, stuff, I don't know, you know, Crisis, uh, the upcoming Crisis, and all, you know, anything that comes up in the vein of, like cyberpunks it's going to be i mean they can go out of their way to do something for it but i you know it's a it's maybe a hard ask to rewrite everything if it just isn't working out so yeah i don't think you know if yeah it's a hard ask i don't think that people will be you know expecting much from that i mean if we look at actual next gen stuff forward-looking rendering the sort of showcase example would be nanite lumen you're not going to be running that on the Steam Deck, are you? I don't think so. I mean, we have yet to try it. I'm curious what would happen. I'm also I'm also curious when something like Metro Exodus Enhanced uh, gets the proper uh, support because I'm current. I think it currently doesn't work. Um, uh, There's but, no RT support as far as yeah, I can see. Yeah, so like that would be the interesting thing to see what happens in those cases. Maybe it is possible to do 30 FPS at 540p at like some of the lower settings, but not every game is going to be built towards that scaling. And I don't think the install base will justify any sort of uh, dent in the PC market that is not already covered by people still having legacy hardware like GTX 1060s and things like that. Um, so I, I think, uh, Jake, in the current near future, the install base will not warrant developers, other than for curiosity sakes, making their own optimized settings. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to sway the development to make them have to, you know, really jury-rig their engines and games to run on this thing. I don't think so. I think the other thing to bear in mind here is... Um, just general scalability, uh, during lockdown, there were a ton of laptops with really weak GPUs sold. Uh, I mean, we're talking millions. And, that, and addressing the audience to encompass those devices means that possibly we will see developers attempting, you know, sort of potato level settings, um, you know, fallbacks, you know, uh, which, which could work. But I think you have to put this into context. It's running the games of if the here and now pretty well. Uh, I've yet to try Cyberpunk on it, um, but I suspect at low settings it will kind of power through, just as uh, the last-gen consoles are at least, you know, notionally playable. Um, so I think there is, but there will be this cutoff point. But the question is, does that cutoff point matter? Because the the fact is that Steam is a gigantic li library with titles stretching back decades. The device doesn't become obsolete just because it can't play the latest and greatest at 60 FPS, right? There's still, you know, it's there's still a huge amount of games out there that, that it's going to play really well. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the next question from... This one again. Uh, M-R-T-N-P-T-R-S. Martin Peters? That's what I would... Ma Martin Peters. Yeah. That would be... Yeah, that's a good guess. Hacker, alias. 
Uh, with games and emulators being notorious for having many issues with AMD GPU drivers, do you think this will negatively affect games slash emulators in the future on Steam Deck? Um, uh, also regarding support, because AMD most likely produces a special driver for the Steam Deck that could be updated a bit later than regular drivers. He's asking whether SteamOS automatically updates the G AMD GPU driver, uh, or does Valve first have to approve it? Um, well, we don't we don't know the cadence of AMD GPU drivers on the Steam Deck. I think that's for sure. But I would be fairly confident that um, it would be bundled into the Steam OS update. Um, I don't see why they would decouple that because you know it's a fixed platform, right? Um, in terms of, I, I don't really know about the issues that emulators have with AMD GPU drivers. Any insights on that, Alex? There has been times where uh, Vulkan backends or OGL backends don't necessarily work right out of the gate or work perfectly on AMD uh, uh, drivers until they get updated over time and things like that. But at the same time, I've already seen developers of emulators purposefully looking at targeting uh, and making sure that there is already SteamOS compatibility, like that they work well. So I think uh, this thing has enough, uh, how do you say it, clout already to sway emulator developers to get express uh, support of it. It's kind of like how when the M1 stuff came out for Apple, we already saw Dolphin pivoting to making a test and a, a branch that works on M1 Apple uh, stuff. And it's the same thing with Steam Deck. So maybe it's a little bit of a thing, a question for legacy emulators are ones that are not updated too often or ones that have less resources. But I think your CMOS, your, uh, you know, all the modern ones, I think they're going to be fine for the immediate to near future for sure. Okay, on, on the uh, G GPU side of things, in terms of the Windows side, in the fullness of time, I would expect that just to be the standard driver, right? I think they've made strides in integrating APU drivers with the standard driver, which, uh, which just kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't really know of the implications of the AMD GPU driver on actual SteamOS side, but uh, interesting to see how that all pans out anyway. Uh, the final question here we've got about the Steam Deck from uh, Jonas Suchi. Um, I'm still a little bit disappointed about the lack of VRR, variable refresh rate, on the Steam Deck as a stable 60F FPS seems to be a little hard to achieve in some games. Which got me thinking about what Alex said a couple of times about the fact that most PC monitors can be set to a 50 hertz mode and, con and consequently run games at 50 FPS with uh, even frame pacing. Do you think it would be feasible for Valve to integrate the functionality of a 50 hertz mode in the Steam Deck via a software update? I think a slider in the overlay for 60, 50, 30 and even 25 FPS would be a great feature to have given the limited power and bat fee. As far as I know, most panels aren't built for 40 hertz, or could that also be an option? He's going in here with his possibilities, right? Full full bore. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts. P.S. What about Switch? What about it? Um, okay, I can answer this one because I did actually speak to Valve about this because I'm finding on the Steam Deck that you hit so many bottlenecks trying to get 60 FPS in games that really require a good amount of CPU power to do that or GPU power. And, you know, you kind of see them float, you know, around the sort of late 40s to, to early 50s, if, if you're lucky. Um, and so, yes, that's I had exactly the same thought. And I said to Valve, how about configurable refresh rates if you can't do VRR? And they said they're going to look at it, which I think is really good news. I would temper that 
with caution by saying that when I went into the Linux desktop, it works just like a, a normal desktop PC. You go to display settings, you see what refresh rates are supported by the display and uh, it's just 60, there's no 50. So it would re require custom tooling uh, from Valve on that one. But I think I think the lack of VRR is a, is a bit of a disappointment. But what I would say is that when you do hit uh, specifically CPU limits on the on the deck, the stutter is such that even if you're in like 40 to 50 FPS territory, that is an average. Your frame times can be quite gnarly and VRR can't always save the day there. But absolutely, it would have been a, a great option to have. Yeah, it would have, definitely. Um, I just also, in general, dislike stutters of any sort, as my most recent video content has shown. Uh, <laughs> So it's becoming VR a bit annoying. Could also help that. Yeah, any sort of judder, just like I'm so annoyed by it now. I just wish developers would focus on it a bit more. <laughs> this question here ends with what about switch? Question mark, exclamation point, question question mark. What about switch? I mean, you're a big switch fan, right, Tom? Yeah. What so, about switch? <laughs> what about switch? <laughs> what you, I mean fifty hertz on switch, maybe, is the question. Or yeah, uh, switch. That, that, yeah, like in the uh, console space, fifty hertz was always PAL territory stuff and it seems like that's that's been pushed aside in favor of a standardized 60. Um, but yeah, I mean, these our TV sets are perfectly capable of it, but it's just a shame that... I wonder if it is possible to configure the LCD on the Switch and the Steam Deck to actually make it 50. Mm. Yeah, that's the question. Changes. I suspect not. That's the point. I don't think yeah. it is possible. One thing to say about the uh, 50 hertz mode potential is that there is a downside to it which is that if you drop a frame you're momentarily dropping down to 25 fps rather than 30 or rather um you know 25 uh, millisecond which is quite a, a big jump uh, versus 33 so there there are downsides to it you're really looking to use it for stability when you're in that kind of ballpark already but yeah fascinating stuff i mean um I, I, I'm really sort of curious about this, the Steam Deck. I'm happy with it as a, a device that I like to experiment with and uh, see what it's capable of and uh, to test the sort of frontier of a mobile chipset. Also, RDNA 2 on mobile, it's a winner, right? I mean, it's doing it's doing things that I didn't think were possible. When we did our um, uh, direct on the Steam Deck way back when, I was anticipating that the 35-watt processor in my laptop would equate to the 15-watt processor in the Steam Deck with the architectural improvement. But it's way beyond that. It's it's really impressive stuff. So, yeah, again, if people are actively targeting this device, even if it's you know just a specific profile from their existing PC port, we could see some magical stuff here. And we shall indeed be reporting on it. But look, we've been talking for like, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes about Steam Deck. I'm talked out. I'm also. Are you? <laughs> well, you know, let's move We've on. We've got a bit more to go. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the next topic. This is the big one, right? The biggest game of the moment, um, possibly of the year. Elden Ring, massive sales success. I mean, from software in terms of uh, in terms of the sort of mass market appeal. They've, I think they finally crossed crossed the threshold in taking the Souls formula fully mainstream here, and it's looking absolutely phenomenal from that perspective. Um, but there's a lot to discuss here. Um, 
Alex, we've kind of discussed PC performance already until we're blue in the face, (laughs) (laughs) really. Uh, So I'm going to go to Tom here to talk about the consoles. I mean, we've talked about the console side of things, but uh, there is the last gen side of things, which we should possibly address. So where, where, I mean, the video as we speak is still in production and we've kind of found an interesting detour in the meantime. But we should probably follow up on that first of all, which was the fact that um, on the PS5, if you had the digital copy, you can download the PS4 version and get PS4 Pro running on PS5, locked 60 FPS. And then there was this conjecture that you can do the same on Xbox, but you'd actually need the physical copy of the game and then you'd need to block off your console from going online in order to access the Xbox One X version on Series X under backwards compatibility. And uh, the, the contention was that you would receive something similar to um, PS4 Pro code running on PS5. That hasn't really come to pass, has it? I think you went all the way to game to pick up a copy, right? And... Uh... Yeah, we had our hopes high because this was interesting. We did hear that, okay, things weren't exactly quite right with it, but I didn't realise just how wrong it'd be. It's worse than playing just with the regular Series X native app. The, f- the frame rate's actually worse by two or three frames per second. And that's despite obviously running on the 1X settings, you've got lower grass density and all these other things that uh, like they've, they've optimised for the older last-gen console. Uh, and yeah, Alex and I did this uh, quick video, uh, just sort of diving into it. It was originally meant for the last-gen analysis I was working on, and then um, we kind of just realised this is more a little bit more interesting uh, as a kind of. I think there's some predictability with the last-gen console stuff because we've done the beta uh, analysis, um, but uh, we haven't seen the full game to be fair. But with this, it's like well. The question was, what is is there any way to play 60 at 60 FPS on any Xbox console? And the answer was a resounding no. Uh, there's just it's impossible, and the reason it's impossible is even more surprising, which is there's a feature in the game to dynamically shift it away from 60 FPS in favor of uh, higher visual settings, resolution, ambient occlusion, per pixel motion blur. All these things are dynamically enabled instead of to make a, take advantage of the GPU cycles of the machine. So 60 FPS is not on the cards and it's just frustrating because, but it gave us a really interesting look at how the engine works on console and it kind of demystified the settings on PC, uh, the auto-detect rendering setting on PC. Which by the way, I still have no idea how you actually because you were able to men- you were able to see it in action on Xbox One X, and I guess there's also evidence of it being in action on what is it PlayStation 5's uh, performance mode, where it, with the uh, turning on and off of motion blur at times that seems rather arbitrary. Um, yeah, so like I still don't know what actually activates it on PC. I've tried. I I don't know, and it also that kind of spills over the fact that I don't know what's actually activating it on PC when it does happen, if it does, uh, ties over into how it's actually activating on console and why we had such an issue with this backwards compatibility thing because it doesn't seem to be targeting a frame rate. It seems to just be kind of targeting 
whether or not the GPU is being used heavily or something like that, uh, like, like it's more saturated in some arbitrary way that we can't understand because the game is still not hitting a certain target frame rate. Uh, and that's the big point of Tom's video that it's, it's not at all a target frame rate. But it does on, P well, maybe it's just the sheer GPU multiplier between PS4 Pro and PS5, but it is hitting 60 on PS5. That's kind of what's weirding me out a bit. We talked about that, and I think it's literally because they have on, for some bizarro reason, they don't have a, uh, a cap on the resolution that the Xbox One X version can go can have. So it automatically just ramps up to 4K for some reason, as well as adding in these settings. And uh, on PS4 Pro, they did actually, for because <laughs> I wish they did this on other consoles, but they actually had a more sensible resolution cap of 1800 CB. Uh, and which I think this, the lack of resolution there, is actually the thing that is allowing PlayStation 5 to be, to be so performant in that PS4 Pro mode. Otherwise, I think it would have the exact same problem that we see on Xbox Series X with this Xbox One X compatibility thing. Yeah, it is fascinating to see how it all played out and uh, to get some answers to bizarre questions that we've been kind of dealing with during the Elden Ring review period. Uh, we're going to go into some questions here. Uh, I guess the first two are kind of deeply related, so I'll do both of them. First one from Legendary. <laughs> dairy as in a dairy. Legendary Math Debater. Oh, oh come on. If if you're trying to, if you're trying to top agonize agonizing rectal it's pain, like right there. Not, you've not quite reached that <laughs> level. But anyway, his question do you feel like games with bad performance and optimization like Elden Ring can deserve the ten over ten, ten out of ten quote unquote masterpiece label? Uh Concrete Llama's question. From software makes some incredible games, some of my absolute favorites. But the fact we're still seeing performance-related technical issues in their games is concerning. Is there any indication as to what it's actually causing the poor frame rate in Elden Ring? It's almost as if they left some debug settings or, weird, or a weirdly expensive setting on and didn't think to turn it off. At this point, I feel like FOM should just make their games uh, then when they think they're finished get a third party to immediately remaster them. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, 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 so, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one, right? Because it's all about um, game design versus game design in all manner of aspects versus technical performance. Because I actually, you know, I've played the Elden Ring a little bit now. I'm not a big fan of these games, but I've played it. I can appreciate the quality of the game design. I can appreciate the thought that's gone into the mechanics of stuff like combat, um, leveling, character development. I think the uh, the world design is technically uh, fairly basic, but what they're doing in that world is 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 brilliant. And I think that the, the uh, designs of the various entities in it are also excellent. But you do have this these technical issues and they don't seem to be going away do they alex no they don't they've had them ever since ever like john was well, even on, on the pc side the, yeah. the transition from dx11 to dx12 has actually made it worse yeah we've seen this before in the past though with other because you you have to you know bite off more than you can chew is a real thing regarding dx12 where all the stuff the driver did in the background invisible to the developer even making their games better without them knowing it um that's all gone 
for the most part. And then you have all this responsibility and it requires a lot of responsibility. So much so that Oxide Games, for example, dropped their DX12 Vulcan Path because it required so much responsibility and maintenance over time. Uh, and then having a, a developer that already has issues uh, shipping games in acceptable technical uh, quality, then it was just a recipe for disaster. And I think it bears out. I just want to answer really quickly um, the 10 out of 10 masterpiece thing. One, I don't like actually game ratings. I really like the uh, Eurogamer and more, I would say, journalistic driven style of rating games or reviewing games where it's a, a recommendation or an essay describing things and maybe on an emotional level as well as a mechanical one. And I think uh, that's the way we could get across the technical issues to, to people, that it's a more nuanced thing. Yes, the game has incredibly brilliant design, like Rich was just talking about, but at the same time, there should be an asterisk in the article or a separate section that describes uh, technical things, uh, or at least visible technical things, because I don't expect every reviewer out there to be have the, you know, the eyes and the tools that we approach our games uh, reviews with but still it has to be a part of it because in this case at least with the steam dx12 pc version it is a huge controversy uh, you just go into the they're usually let's just say on reset era the, the pc performance thread is maybe at the most 10 or 12 pages long i think it's like 40 or 50 for elden ring of people just uh, wailing at the game and trying so many different things to try and get it to run as they wish. And I think there's a lot of placebo in there. And I think there's a lot of people just giving up hope and just saying, yeah, it runs better today, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> I, like it, it's not running better today. Well, um, that, that's the thing, right, Alex, because it could run better today. If you've got, a, if you we'll talk about this later, but if you've got a pre-compiled shader for, that was generated during a stutter in your first gameplay uh, playthrough, it may not appear in the second because it's it's been cached. So, yeah, I mean, so how can people claim things have been fixed unless they're going to nuke their installation and reinstall it? That's what so I did this is, for the review. I yeah, always kept nuking is, my installation. Yeah, Because we actually thought we, when Patch 102 drops that, yeah, it, it looks like things are better. But it wasn't. It was just the stuff that you'd played before was pre-cached. You ran it on your um, mainstream PC. Yeah, and then it just and was, it was a, it was a disaster. Revealed itself for being even worse. Uh, what is Concrete Llama here? I do think that what Concrete Llama actually may be getting at is I think that there's publisher oversight uh, failures in this case uh, because from as a studio they are bound by contracts and release dates and they have their own technical QA department and um, they may have different goals than what makes for a, a good reviewable game, for example. And I think this is the part where um, the publisher has to come in with their own QA knowledge and their own understanding of where the reviews may go and say, actually, right now, the game is completely playable, but it's not in an acceptable state. And maybe it comes out in a different form at, a, at another point. And I think that's what should have happened with Elden Ring. I think there should have been a PC network test. Yeah, that should I have mean, been great. Yeah. I mean, month, these issues would have been would have surfaced months ago and could possibly have been fixed for launch. But I'm still curious about this concept of um, a brilliant game actually having relatively poor performance, Tom. And you are actually a big fan of these titles, but but the concept the concept of um, uh, t uh, technical elements not being where they should be, this is nothing new for from software titles right so where does this sit with you i mean i've got to look at the games that i've uh you know i've always positioned as a 10 out of 10 across 
uh, all the years I've been playing games, like Dark Souls 1. It never was performant on uh, 360 or PS3, and the PC version was notoriously uh, <laughs> not <incredible>. not wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, obviously a classic. Um, you got you know um, Shadow of the Colossus on PS2. You know, loved it. It doesn't matter that the frame rate was bad. Shenmue 2 on Dreamcast, not a great frame rate. It goes on and on. The Last Guardian, uh, you know, it's uh, so. I think if you're emotionally invested enough in a game and the story in the world that it's built up, uh, you can, you can, you know, it's a suspension of disbelief. You can just push aside those issues, but with the caveat that if they're so glaringly bad, like they are on the PC version of this, then it's like there's no way. It's too intrusive. Um, so for me, on Elden Ring. The console version is obviously the the version that I'm playing right now for, for DF testing, and the fact is the frame rate's not great, but it is still very playable, very enjoyable, and it's not going to it's not like made it's my not game breaking. No, that's the yeah, problem. not game breaking. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm a bit torn on that one. Ten out of ten. Yeah, sure. If only uh, they'd just addressed that. Um, added a 30 fps cap. That is evenly frame frame paced or something like that, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think if people are happy with it, then fair enough. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of co comparable things in other mediums like books or cinema. It doesn't happen there, <laughs> you know, because they would yeah, get paid. Yeah, poor paper pads. quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, paper quality is, is like uh, in the middle of um, like the new Spider-Man. Is there a massive hitch or stutter coming in to ruin the moment? It's never really so. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is pretty weird, and I think uh, I don't know if that's special to the video game medium because I don't think this stuff flies in film. Uh, film get panned for it. Like Tenet was recently panned for the technical quality of its dialogue audio. Uh, I, I remember that, and um, or or even the last film from. I forget the name of the uh, director. Well, Bane. Bane. Yeah, in, uh, Bane, Dark right? Light Rises is the, is the classic example. It's like the, uh, the teachers in Peanuts. Yes. What, 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 what? Yeah, it's like the exact same thing. I, I I don't think it flies in the film, so it does surprise me a little bit that in video game medium where it's even more interactive and the technical aspects are more readily apparent in every uh, interaction with the thing, that it is more forgivable. The reason I've, I've, not, I've not been chuckling at your comments, Tom, I've been chuckling at this concept that Fong should just make their games, then when they think they're finished, get a third party to immediately remaster them, which kind of leads us on to the next question from Wouter van der Ridder. In an interview, From Software claimed that they felt pressured by Bluepoint's successful take on Demon's Souls in terms of graphical fidelity. Since the release of Elden Ring, the graphics as well as the performance aren't up to par with the Demon's Souls remake. Should From Software have reached out to Bluepoint to inherit <laughs> some of their expertise? Is it common for studios to collaborate on such a project? You can't just inherit expertise and you, and, you, know, you can't really... This is the thing, right? You know, one of the one of the classic comments that's emerged from this Elden Ring situation is, they should just move it to Unreal Engine Five. <laughs> Fixes it. Which you know, yeah, yeah, just just do that. Only take an afternoon, and uh, then we'll pop I out did. for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, um, yeah, this kind of level of collaboration that's being suggested with Bluepoint is like, you know, fundamentally re-architecting the whole project, really. <laughs> as much as we'd like to see it. 
But yeah, they I, I guess maybe they did feel pressured by Bluepoint's successful take on Demon Souls, but you know, the the engine isn't I think the thing we have to accept is that there is a technical ceiling with From Software at the moment. And it seems to be based on their technology. I don't know, Alex, should should they move on to a different end? Should they move on to Unreal Engine or something like this? Well, based on the PS4 Pro performance on PS5, it is technically executable to run it well. So there is a software, like it does actually run well somewhere. So I don't think it's the basic <laughs> end. I think it's just design. Like their technical design is so ununderstandable right. like they i don't know what they're targeting and i don't and some visual things i think they just don't do it right like there's best practices that the industry has established for a while now and they and they just kind of like collectively ignore them maybe they don't have the time f uh time uh publisher insight all these things to actually get them in there but you know i like i said it last week when i was talking to john i was like the fact that they have like so many non-shadow casting lights in the game in areas where there's only non-shadow casting lights, like usually like the design of a, of a lighting in a scene is you always have at least one motivated shadow casting light. So you get those shadows from somewhere at least. But from games always, ever since Dark Souls 2 was revealed, um, just don't have all these non-shadow casting lights everywhere. And it makes the game look worse than it arguably could uh, based upon the performance I've seen in it. So it's really... I wish they just had different technical design goals. I think what's interesting about uh, Wooter's question here is that we actually do now have an example of a From Software game that is not just technically competent, but technically brilliant. And uh, that do- I think maybe that does reset expectations, right? I, I think the uh, there's kind of a couple of thoughts on how this would work. Like... Bluepoint have been in this position before with... Uh, they made a great remaster of Shadow of the Colossus, right? And then The Last Guardian came out, and there's some parallels with how people treated that game, and they were saying, if only it had a Bluepoint remaster, you know? It's been... But it's the same... I think The Last Guardian and Elden Ring have the same problem in that they are both running on kind of a legacy code. There's a, there's a long... You can see, like, the... The mechanics and parts of the engine have such a, a there's a link going all the way back to Demon Souls, the original PS3 version, in just how things work visually, and they are being sort of anchored a little bit by that, and yeah, there's, there's so there's not a heck of a lot they can do besides a sort of a an engine refresh. We see it in like uh, the creation engine titles with Bethesda as well but this is nowhere near that bad it's just these are quirks and characteristics of the engine that you know from their end maybe are hard to work around from Bluepoint's perspective if they were to collaborate that would make their position very difficult to actually do you know offer wholesale changes but what they could do is maybe offer some a kind of common sense advice on things like you know, the 30 FPS cap, you know, maybe there's a workaround there that they could, that maybe there's some expertise there in how to generate an even cap. Well, that's the thing, right? Demon Souls runs at 30 FPS correctly on PS5 if you if, if you use the quality mode. <laughs> so there's yeah. some expertise there, some, some, some knowledge at Bluepoint, which might be transferable to just you know, a uh, basic level, how to how to render the world. Okay, let's move on to the next question. I think it's one that we could disappear down a big rabbit hole on, so let's try and 
keep it focused. Elden Ring is the latest game in a long series to feature shader compilation and other stuttering on PC. On the This is the point, right? On the user's side, what can be done with hardware and software to mitigate this in lieu of a proper fix? Would better CPU, memory, or SSD performance help? What about playing with double or triple buffer VSync or capping the, the game's frame rate? So, Alex, we have seen some examples of like highly tuned DDR5 setups actually mitigating some of the stutter on, on this title. But this is like this is like a nuclear option, right? Just di ditching your entire platform to, to get a high-end Alder Lake system with fast DDR5, which is then tuned uh, to, to get... Because we should say that John has an Alder Lake system, but with DDR4, and it's still a stutter fest. So, yeah, what, what do you reckon about this question then from Jonathan Hayhurst? Uh, there will be CPUs that will be powerful enough to compile that shader just in time at a at a, at a millisecond uh, window that will not ultimately disrupt the frame rate so much. But that's like really end game future stuff. That's a solution. Another solution is, yes, dropping to 30 or 40 FPS cap or something like that, uh, because some of the shader compilations or traversal stutters uh, don't like crest over 23 milliseconds. Some are below that. And in which case, or even those that are like between 23 and 33, they'll become invisible in the 33 uh, uh, millisecond range, which is something that Rich has seen on Steam Deck, I believe. Uh, and then there's also the other option, which I think is bizarre, and we should not be constantly advocating for this, but it is the running the DXVK Proton uh, way of playing games, of translating the game into DX12. And that, in the Vulkan side of things, can do asynchronous shader compilation. And it, it does the way where it like doesn't wait for the shader to actually be compiled. It compiles it later, and it like just throws up a generic shader, I believe, in the meantime. And it just so you can have like effects not appearing unnecessarily and things like that. I think that's how it works uh, from what I've read so far. I don't actually like advocating for that because it requires such a like you have to set up an entire translation layer. You have to sacrifice GPU and CPU performance while doing this. I don't think that's the way forward for PC gaming. Um, I think the user should really just expect better things from their games in the end. I mean, shader compilation stutter is an issue, but uh, the other thing that's been coming up, which was actually, I mean, it's rare that I see developers on Twitter kind of dumping on other developers, but when the um, uh, the, the you know the, the updates that Valve put out for Elden Ring optimization came out, it's like, hey, these guys seem to have an issue with their understanding of the DX12 API. Um, and uh, actually, I've been talking to Valve about this because a lot of these issues are mitigated on the Steam Deck of all places. And uh, they're saying that um, the majority of the big hitches that they've seen are more to do with the game creating many thousand resources, such as command buffers at certain points, which was making our memory manager go into overdrive trying to handle it. They're caching those allocate allocations more aggressively, which seems to have helped. Um, there's a ton going on there. Steam Deck actually is quite interesting in that um, I was asking them about the uh, shader compilation stutter and um, quote here on the deck, we take, um, hold on a minute. Yeah, on the on the deck we have a, on the Linux Proton side rather, we have a pretty extensive shader pre-caching system with multiple levels of source level and binary cache representations preceded and shared across users. And on the deck, they take that to the next level because they have a unique GPU, 
Um, uh, the majority of shaders uh, are actually pre-built on their servers and downloaded to the, uh, to the to the end user, which which basically sorts out that problem. Which also actually addresses the question from King Penumbra next. Elden Ring would be a DX12 game on the Xbox platform, uh, which will use DX12. So why doesn't it seem that any of them suffer from shader compilation issues in any game? Well, that's the thing, right? It's a fixed platform. All the shaders can be generated, uh, pre-cached, included on the install, and it's not an issue, right, Alex? That's exactly it. And I actually do wonder if From is actually only rolling DX12 on PC. I know they said stuff about ray tracing, but let's just completely forget that at the moment. I do actually wonder if because with the new XDK environment or GDK, that it uh, puts out DX12 only, as far as I know, if you're targeting Xbox Series consoles. Uh, so I do actually wonder if this is a side effect of them actually wanting to uh, do their Xbox and PC development at the exact same time, but they just didn't get the PC side so well. That's interesting. I wonder if there's a way we can tell if a game has been developed on the GDK. That's be an interesting thing to look at, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, we're still going in with shader compilation here. A question from Sloth. A lot of shader compilation issues are left to developers to mitigate in DX12 currently. But are there, th are there more things companies like AMD, and NVIDIA, and Valve can do to help improve the experience for users? For example, more ways for pre-calculated shaders to be shared among players for the same card and drivers, or Valve requiring that games integrate shader compilation with Steam so players can queue up and compile shaders in advance through the GUI in a similar manner to the downloads window. This is the thing, right? I think the problem here, Alex, is that there's like an infinite combination of PC components out there. So pre-compilation is a lot more difficult, right? It is more difficult, but there's millions of PC users. I, I get the feeling that I don't like blaming the IHVs for this, um, but I feel like they could do something here because they have game-ready drivers already uh, as a concept, you know? And I feel like at least for the most recent, two recent GPU generations, let's say the most recent RTX, and let's say, you know, uh, RDNA 1 and RDNA 2, I feel like AMD and NVIDIA at some level could try and package that through their, um, you know, automatic downloading services because they already are doing things like uh, auto-optimizing game configs and .inis and things like that. I, I get the feeling they could do it, but the uh, it's not as possible as you think, because uh, as an example, the, the, the person here had this idea of like uh, pre-caching uh, ca the, the, the shaders in a GUI that isn't actually in the game beforehand. Uh, to actually get all the shaders compiled and cached, it actually, in, in actuality, just requires the game to be run on something and having a lot of combinations of things happening on screen and going through a lot of portions of the game. Uh, it's not as easy as it thinks. I don't know actually of a good automated way to do it because we've talked in the background with people about how it's done in UE4. I've talked about it with developers. Rich has as well, too. And it actually requires like going through the game and having things play out and collected and then cached afterwards. It requires some level of both non-automated and automated playthroughing of the game. It's not an easy thing. I think uh, I don't know how it's solved. I really want it to be solved, though, here. Sorry if that's not a really good answer to the question. <laughs> I mean, you know, the nuclear option is what we saw in the launch version of Horizon. 
Yes. Your highs and zero dawn I, just sits there for five or ten minutes I, compiling them. I prefer that at this point in time than having my first playthrough Absolutely. of a game being so disrupted. Absolutely. And your first encounter with any effect or material or whatever leading to a stutter that can be up to a quarter of a second. It's kind of crazy, right? Uh, that's the end of the Elden Ring questions. There were there were more, but these are the pertinent ones. And um, yeah, I, I suspect this story will run and run. I just think, you know, ultimately, um, if Valve can come up with optimizations that improve the experience, it can't be impossible for the developer to, to, to look at that and think, okay, so these are the problems, how do we address them? See, this is sort of basic logic, but, but let's move on. So this week, uh, it's described as a massive cyber attack, uh, sort of shades of Skynet, uh, the future Earth there, but actually it's just NVIDIA being leaked, <laughs> sorry, being hacked and their uh, secrets being leaked. Foremost amongst them, uh, I guess there was a sort of a a confirmation of this gigantic um, 4090 that's going to consume a huge amount of power, but probably more pertinent to our audience was um, apparent confirmation of the Switch Pro specification. Uh, basically that a, a mobile Tegra class um, processor typically used by the automotive industry is going to be repurposed for the Switch Pro, Switch 2, whatever you want to call it, Super Switch, Switch Model S. Um, and yes, uh, the T239 chipset is what it's known. And um, there's also confirmation of DLSS being used, um, specifically the 2.2 variant, but I suspect that's just old data. The reason we can kind of suspect there is a link there is that they're talking about NVN2. Now, NVN, the original, was the uh, low-level graphics API for the Switch. So it kind of, you know, uh, logic suggests that NVN, NVN2 is for the new Switch. Um, so we've got this really capable um, Ampere class GPU. We've got DLSS. D does this excite you, Tom? Well, from the perspective of um, an updated switch, yes. I'm not a uh, massively, uh, you know, use a massive user on PC uh, the side, but it's kind of if it trickles down to the next switch, this is kind of a big deal. And yeah, um, is there much? Is there kind of a does this tally with the other reports of what we know about Switch? Is this far beyond what we, we thought would be come up the Switch? It ties in with all of the uh, leaks that were that were coming um, previously. Uh, Copite 7 Kimi is a profoundly accurate leaker. And way back when he was talking about uh, this T239 uh, chipset uh, being for Nintendo Switch 2 or Super Switch or whatever, and I'm just quickly looking at the schematics now of this chip. 2048 CUDA cores, 12 uh, ARM Cortex-A78-AE Hercules cores. This looks like a really potent piece of kit, um, but it's Nintendo then, not huge. I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? One thing that was sort of cast doubt on this initial rumor was the fact that um, Nintendo aren't really obsessed with performance they're obsessed with the um with how it's used right and i think that's kind of been borne out with uh, with the original switch is that yes the actual amount of compute power you might have is actually rather low but 
give it to developers, see what they can do with it, and you get some, some great results. I think the one thing to bear in mind here is that this chip does look rather large. And I suspect that once again, we will be looking at low clocks to meet a specific battery target. Uh, thought, thoughts on this, Alex? It's exactly what I see, because we saw that with Tegra as well. You know, it could clock quite a bit higher, and people have done that with uh, switch modding. Uh, so I think that's the way this will bear out in the end. Um, I think it's awesome for people who love Switch and love the docked experience on Switch. Uh, I also think it bears really well uh, for the eventuality of there actually being able to be uh, ports of PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X games. Um, the memory situation is the one thing that is always, I think, the only Achilles heel of these um, kind of uh, things at all, because we see that already in Xbox Series S. I imagine it'll also uh, be something to think about when people are developing games for the next Switch. I'm just, at this point, only curious about when it'll uh, launch, because it, I think a lot of these files were originally from about a year and year and a half ago, maybe even longer, um, referencing timeframes that are around now. So I guess Switch 2 Pro, whatever it's called, was maybe shelved at one, some, one point and then brought into existence again. I don't know, but I'm just curious about when this launches. Yeah, I think the addition of uh, DLSS is a big uh, deal for it as well. Um, that'll give it that extra scalability. Uh, something that, you know, it could really uh, rely on. And <laughs> I think the, absolutely, like, they won't ship it with the max core, uh, max core clock speeds that it's, uh, it will go out with. Uh, it will be cut down, but yeah, it should be really interesting. I mean, the, the idea, I think, for me is uh, a 4K switch would be the most exciting upgrade. Uh, something that you know, can scale the old games up to a 4K set, but whether that's feasible or not is uh, is going to, I think, come down to the original software because a lot of those games are only set to scale to 1080p, which is a little bit of a shame. There is still a certain amount of uh, doubts based on this leak. For example, everyone at one point was thinking that DLSS was now open source uh, because these files are out there, but some of the files seem to be stuff that you could just download anyway off the internet. So yeah, there, there, it's not by you know this this leak isn't sort of the definitive statement as it were. Um, also, I would strongly urge people to watch Alex's video about uh, the implement the potential implementation of DLSS on uh, a switch. I mean, this is looking like it's well, this documentation suggests it's a straight port of DLSS 2.2, which on the one hand, its quality is superb, um, but on the other hand comes with a significant com computational overhead, even if you've got the tensor cores. So yeah, that's that's going to be, I would suspect, to, to, I would have expected to have seen a more bespoke implementation, uh, possibly with uh, quality compromises to get the performance up. Maybe we'll still see that. But yeah, certainly interesting that we uh, actually have this insight. But yeah, it's... Uh, Kind of unfortunate, the, the situation that, that brought it about. But there we go. Um, let's move on to the next topic. Final <laughs> one here, um, just quickly, uh, it's been announced or revealed that Resident Evil Remake 2 um, and 3 and Resident Evil 7 are going next gen. They're getting patches for at least Xbox Series uh, X and S, almost certainly um, uh, 
PS5. What's happening here, Alex? Because you've looked at some screenshots, right? <laughs> yeah, so they released three screenshots, I believe, of, uh, of all these games, very different stages in them. I have one here. I'm going to send a side-by-side -side to Audi. I actually will send it, Audi, uh, of Resident Evil 3 in the hallway with the, you know, the reflections. And you can see in the side-by-side -side that it does actually look pretty uh, different. Uh, the, the reflections uh, are more like the ones we saw in Resident Evil uh, Village. Uh, so they, they're a little bit blocky, but they're way better than the SSR that we saw in any of these uh, remake games or these Reach for the Mood games. Uh, and as well, if you look in the, the little back there behind those boxes uh, there, you'll see that it's also a bit darker. And I think that is because they're using the diffuse uh, lighting that they also had in Resident Evil Village, which will add in some local bounce lighting as well, too, which is really cool. So that's really all I have to say about it. I'm uh, just curious about what it'll run and target on the next on the current gen platforms And I'm also curious or not whether it'll be an AMD sponsored title on PC like we saw with Resident Evil Village or it will be something else uh, But that's about it. I mean we could see the multiple modes from Devil May Cry 5 special edition Which I guess is possibly the closest parallel which is to say an existing uh, last gen game is updated for current gen so I don't know increased resolution ray tracing 120 FPS. Uh, even 120 hertz, mm -hmm. possibly. Which was a thing on that. But yeah, interesting stuff. I hope to see those titles soon. And uh, specifically, Resident Evil 7 could be quite an interesting one. But uh, yeah, let's move on. We're running over time here, what with all this Elden Ring and uh, Steam Deck uh, discussion. But let's go straight into uh, questions brought to us by supporters of the DF Supporter Program. Uh, Going to kick off with a quick one i think i think we've kind of addressed this scenario before it's from lorenzo bracco to john and the team john's busy uh do you think that he's not here do you think that gt7 was held back by its cross-gen nature and to what degree talking more generally we have seen some great cross-gen scaling in titles like forza on xbox and horizon on playstation that's purely on the graphical side of things what about the actual core design and gameplay of cross-gen games that have to run on the weak CPUs and mechanical hard drives of last gen. Coming back to Jack Gran Turismo, fans have been asking for more cars on track, but GT7 brings no improvement in this sense, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly a PS4 CPU limitation, question mark? Thoughts, question mark? Question mark. Um, <laughs> yes, Tom. Uh, I mean, John covered this in his uh, excellent video on PS5 even. You can get frame rate drops with enough cars on the track, with enough weather effects and on certain tracks so uh there are some limits even on the current gen systems which are worth uh bearing in mind but at a fundamental level uh it does seem like there are other racing games which i mean we're, when we're looking at the future of gran turismo and what we want from a, a true next gen leap you've got to look at stuff like uh, what's working on a physics level, uh, what's hammering the CPUs especially, which is the bottleneck for the last gen, obviously. And if you're thinking about that, you're looking at iRacing or other pure racing sim types where every part of the car is simulated uh, and it is kind of the top-to-bottom reworking of how every car works. That, to me, feels like uh, a more effective use of the processing power of PS5 uh, then what is you know already there is a great looking game the track design maybe could use some you know a, a bit more flourish but it's actually it's, it's a gorgeous game 
so yeah, I think if we're looking at the fundamentals, physics on the cars are probably the way forward, and that is probably where PS4 will hold us back. It sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, looking at John, just uh, recorded video with John where we looked at the differences between PS4, PS4 Pro, and PS5. And uh, yeah, simulation-wise, it is the same game. The fact that you can even run um, the replays from PS4 Pro on PS5 and vice versa shows that, that it is actually the same game. And that is the normal cross-gen stuff. Uh, I don't know, I don't play any of these things like iRacing, so I don't know how much better the simulation makes the car game in itself or the feel. One thing I would really have loved to have seen uh, is like the Wreckfest kind of thing where they do soft body simulation of cars. Uh, where, you know, so when you hit things, like you'll see like the proper dents, uh, you know, like what we saw in the 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 and the matrix i would keep wanting to say end of the matrix the matrix awakens demo um where we also saw something very similar on the cars there which was really cool that's definitely for the next gt when they dump ps4 and ps4 pro but in the meantime i think the the areas where they did improve the game are readily visible it does i think look quite a bit better on playstation 5 um just you know on, on every single thing that john talked about in his video that you'll be seeing soon enough there uh, yeah, that's really all I can say about that. I think we're in this cross-gen period, and it's going to be a while, though, before we see games that wholly focus on, like, actually utilizing the new CPUs in a way that is more than just increasing the frame rate or having more stable frame rate. Like a, a bit of a contentious point that it became a, a cross-gen game almost uh, in the marketing, uh, you know, after it was initially pushed forward that it might be a PS5 exclusive. And I think there there might have been a, a pivot there, but you know, in terms of the development of the game, it was always, you know, um, capable. I'm sure of running on PS4s, whether because I mean, this only happened a year ago, so they can't have pivoted too hard away from PS4 development. Well, here's the thing: I don't think it was a pivot. I think it was always intended to be cross-gen, um, because you know, fundamentally, GT7, as John identified, is built on the GT Sport engine, so you know it cut back what you're doing on ps5 or scale up from what you're doing on ps4 and um you know that's 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 what we're getting and fundamentally it makes sense because there are on a business from a business perspective there are you know 120 million ps4 class systems out there and i think the thing to bear in mind is that you know saying rome wasn't built in a day games are not built in you know in a year or two years they take you know it's put especially polyphony digital games, they take many years to create. So the concepts that of, you know, uh, GT7 being held back by the PS5, for most of the development period of GT7, uh, I would suspect they would not have had final PlayStation 5 hardware to actually address. So, you know, this is the thing, you know, actual generational leaps. It's not just the hardware, it's about the software and software takes time. And um, you can't immediately suspect, uh, expect Nanite to crop up on everything, you know, Nanite class geometry to crop up on every single game out there. It's a developmental process that's years in the making. And it can kind of only really be fully polished once they actually have the hardware, which in itself takes years to develop. So we can't actually expect um, games to be, uh, you know, pushing next gen ultra hard from day one it's just not really viable so especially in a title like this which 
has to recoup many, many years, millions, multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. And yeah, so it's just sort of practical reality, really. It's not being held back. It's just that we're early in the generation. And I think the reason why we're getting cross-gen is because for the first time ever, pretty much, we've got two generations of hardware that are based on the same fundamental building blocks, x86 processors and Radeon GPUs. So it kind of is an, 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 an enabling factor which just wasn't possible on prior gens. But I would contend that early games um, from the PS4 era were, you know, they, they were still held back. They weren't held back by PS3 or whatever. They were just held back by the fact that it's early in the generation. But yeah, interesting nonetheless. Quick question to address here from Robert Brown. Would you consider an enhanced PS5 that's more XT than Pro to be worthwhile? The full 40 compute units, higher clocks and faster RAM, but using the same die as the PS5 Slim. Even with the current generation consoles, some games still seem to end up in the frame rate no man's land. Is slightly more power the answer, or do we need a solution like VRR? So I think what Robert is suggesting here, Alex, is essentially like um, a, a GPU you know, a refresh. More, yeah. yeah, GPU refresh. Or in the case, we've actually got a pretty good example here. The RX 5700 has 36 compute units. Uh, 5700 XT has 40. Yeah, so it's literally a, an XT scenario, as Robert says here. I, I, yes, you get more performance. Yes, you'll get more stable frame rates, but it's not a game-changing product that requires a whole new skew, surely. Yeah, I don't... This also feels very weirdly PC. Like, if you're just really concerned about these things, just buy a PC is what I always say. Like, like the... It's, it's, I don't mean to be uh, uh, mean about it, but it feels like... Yeah, I mean, potentially you're looking at, like, what? You know, 10 to 15% more performance. The, the, the other difference between the 5700 and the XT was clock, which probably was arguably more impactful than the CU count. Turn to me, yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. Uh, hold on, I have to, it's such a long question that I have to expand. <laughs> I have to expand the window to read it all. <laughs> uh, from Lou Colliver, high DF performance has always been a, f a function of both computing power and game code efficiency. However, with the disappointing performance of recent titles such as Elden Ring, Halo Infinite and GTA Remastered. Is it fair to say that War Compute is becoming increasingly less an increasingly less relevant factor in the performance equation? To put it another way, as hardware becomes more powerful, can we expect to see more games with technical issues, such as random stuttering and frame drops? That can't easily be attributed to hardware constraints. Alternatively, will we see a brighter future where more powerful hardware smooths out most of the bumps we see in current gen games. This is a difficult one, right, Alex, because you could have the most powerful GPU on the planet, but Elden Ring's still going to stutter. Yeah, so I don't think uh, more powerful smoothing out games is going to happen. This is something that always actually happens in hardware and software development over time, where we've massively increased amount of powers from the 486 days, uh, yet the basic amount of compute time required to open up a web browser since Windows 95 is, you know, and it does almost the exact same thing, right? Um, so this is something that is always talked about in circles, um, like development circles. But I think the nth goal here is actually creating uh, a system 
and software that is more easily made in general at the cost of compute power. Yes, that is not like great, but I think we, we should try and have a, you know, development systems, APIs, whatever, uh, and hardware that enables easy development uh, instead of more complex uh, to the metal, whatever kind of development that uh, extracts the most performance always. Um, that's, that's kind of my two cents about this generic problem that you've presented here. I think there's also a lot of scenarios where, it, you know, obviously developers in the PC space can't target specific hardware. So a lot of things we're seeing uh, on the console space, like dynamic resolution scaling, should be more heartily embraced by developers. Because that, you know, going back to uh, this this notional example of the um, of the PS5 XT that has four more compute units, the difference between those experiences would be marginal to non-existent if the game had dynamic resolution scaling implemented. And we can, well, and we've actually got use case scenarios of that with um, Xbox Series X versus uh, PlayStation 5, where, yes, you know, notionally it's running at a faster resolution, uh, sorry, higher resolution, um, but it's changing all the time. You can't really tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah, interesting one, but I just think scalability, I mean, it is about software at the end of the day, software working with hardware. Um, but yes, there we go. Last question here. Uh, we've actually got a couple of questions about, we had a question earlier, actually, which I missed about... Um, and I think I might have deleted it now, but it was, oh, here it goes. James, the, the Naked Snake, was asking about the inevitable push for 8K next gen. And uh, we got this question here from Sven Darling. Uh, Alex, do you think rasterization performance will be less important in the PC GPU space in the future? With a 4K canvas becoming the norm, it's hard to see 8K becoming a thing and diminishing returns on frame rates above 12144 except for esports, pushing more pixels than 4K144 doesn't make a lot of sense. And we are almost there already with high-end GPUs. Maybe the increased transistor count in future GPUs could be used for other things, more ray tracing, geometry processing, tessellation, AI, geometry generation, etc. This is, this, is, this is already happening, right? Because with the Turing age of the GPU, NVIDIA actually dedicated a, a lot of die space to features that wouldn't actually be used for some time? Um, it's less of a question, more of a statement uh, in that aspect. But I agree with the statement. Uh, I, I think, like Rich said, the Turing uh, architecture points that um, fixed function specific, well, it's not even necessarily fixed function in the RT unit, if you think about it, for everything, but fixed function or the tensor core, because it is actually doing some sort of generic thing on a level. Um, it's not the same. I actually think what the initial thing that uh, is the first part of this question was like less focus on rasterization performance. I actually think we're going to see less focus on the performance of those things in the pipeline that do pure only one thing in rasterization, which is why mesh shaders were introduced, for example, as a programmable interface for doing rasterization functions. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I'm just really curious about what it means in the future, because right now we've seen the way uh, NVIDIA and Intel are going to be doing their ray tracing acceleration. I'm just really curious about how AMD 
uh, accelerates on that path and does something maybe different, or the way NVIDIA and Intel are going to iterate on their ray tracing acceleration in the future. Because, you know, that's there's still bottlenecks there that are would they have a lot of really interesting uh, probably use cases in solving, like the way they can solve those bottlenecks. I'm really curious how it's going to be done. The NVIDIA leaks that have recently emerged about the next-gen GPUs suggest that the 4090 is going to be uh, you know, something like up to two times the rasterization performance, but with over two times the power consumption, which, you know, is kind of nuts. I don't know about that. I don't know if I want that in my PC. I will want it in my PC, but will I actually want it in my PC? I don't know. You know, I, I calculate that just running the GPU for like, you know, X amount of time in my PC is actually going to significant, that level of GPU power is actually going to significantly impact my electricity bill. Yeah, it really will for me too. I mean, it's like they're talking about 800 watt TGPs, which is kind of kind of nuts, yeah. right? 800 watts. I mean, we are approaching sort of the lower end uh, electric heaters. Yes, we really point. are. I mean, I already don't <laughs> heat my room in the winter, uh, my work room. I don't know how it is for you too, but I, d I don't heat it all year round. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. I don't need to do it as well. In summer, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of nuts, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but going back to this other question about um, uh, 8K resolution here, I I'm going to talk about the question a bit more length. Um, James the Naked Snake here. Uh, do you think we should uh, or would ever push for 8K given the extremely high detail of 4K? I personally don't see the point. I'm not even sure most will notice the difference, though admittedly, I've never personally witnessed 8K. I'd rather not this not be the point. We start focusing on detail, frame rate, and Mr. Batalia's favorite, ray tracing. So, um, mm. Tom, do you want an 8K screen, and do you want to uh, have an 800-watt GPU to power it? Uh, no, on the both counts, really. I don't think I could afford the electricity bill, and also the screen, I am very happy with my 4K OLED. I could only envisage like a situation where in a, with 8K, uh, you know, you come into a house and the entire wall is now a massive canvas. And that's like, I'm actually struggling. I don't know if you find this, but sometimes even to pick out the difference between a, a like a, a Blu-ray and a, a 4K disc, there's sometimes not much between. It depends on the processing. Yeah, but I agree with you. It does. There, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes there's a, there's a good transfer, which uh, looks properly 4K. You can see the film grain. Like I was watching Total Recall last night, and it was a, a lot of fun. You can see all the film grain on the original um, uh, 35mm reel. Delicious. But, it, yeah, but, <laughs> but, yeah, but that aside, 8K, there's not, just not much calling for it. Like uh, from a, a film viewing perspective, from a gaming perspective, it's so cost, you know, energy hungry. Uh, yeah, I just can't see the uh, the value paying back on the, the cost. I mean, I do have an 8K screen, and when you actually look at it, it just looks like a really well, you know, in a living room at sort of distance, it just looks like 4K, but with really good anti-aliasing, which kind of makes sense, right? Um, especially in the current sort of era of games that don't really focus on... Um, resolution as such, you know, precision edges and that kind of thing. We've kind of moved into the sort of more post-process slash filmic era. So it, it doesn't really make sense to be on multiple levels over and above the sort of coolness factor of, hey, I'm actually, 
you know, looking at this at 8K and the detail levels can be terrific, but it's not really gonna uh, really sort of make a difference. And we're kind of at the point now where we're still advocating that you don't really need native 4K resolutions in the, in the era of temporal accumulation, in the era of DLSS and whatnot. But, you know, interesting question nonetheless. I think the one thing to bear in mind about um, uh, rasterization performance increasing is that, you know, the tensor cores, the RT cores are all plumbed into the main shaders. So if you increase those things, you kind of also increase uh, rasterization by default, right? So it's, it's, they're just, it's just about the balance between them. And um, I don't think we're going to be going to full path tracing for quite some time. So more raster is always going to be a good thing. Um, maybe not the 800 watts, though. In fairness, the NVIDIA leak does talk about the uh, lower end um, uh, chips in the stack. Which there does seem to be a big sort of uh, drop down when we go down to the lower end chips in terms of uh, their setups and potential power requirements. So I don't think it's going to be a sort of power disaster. I think one just also can't forget, like I always notice this when I take out the 3090 and I plug in a 3080 or something like that, that a lot of this is also just from the memory. Uh, you know, like memory is pretty power hungry. It's also fighting for like the VRM and it's, it's, it's a big contentious warm thing there. And I think the lower end stacks with 16, 12, whatever, how many, uh, how much VRAM they have are just going to buy by virtue, just be so much more efficient than this monster, apparently, that they're going to bring out with the 4090. Okay, but that's it. That's the final question. And therefore, the end of this show. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. The bell there for notionally instant uh, notifications. I've no idea if it actually works consistently or not, <laughs> but please, but please do rig it uh, because it's great, apparently. And uh, DF Supporter Program, so much going on there, so much bonus material, so much awesome discourse with our brilliant community. And uh, yes, uh, much to enjoy there, so please do consider that. But that's all from us for now. Thanks for watching.